Welcome to Pop and Lock. I'm Natalie Dowzicki. And I'm Landry Ayers. I'd like to officially propose changing the title of this show from Pop and Lock to We Made Natalie Watch because it is truly <laughs> my favorite part of the entire endeavor. This week, we dove into the 2006 satire swept under the rug, Idiocracy. Here to discuss the decline of civilization, eugenics, and most importantly, electrolytes, our comedian <laughs> and host of the podcasts Alienating the Audience and The Political Orphanage, Andrew Heaton. Hello. And comedian and improviser, Andrew Young. How you doing? Young, they wanted, they, they reached out to me because they wanted a eugenicist and an idiot and we fit that bill, but I won't say who's who. I won't say which one of us is dumb and which one of us is eugenicist. That's the mystery of this episode. I appreciate that, Heaton. But just for the re record, I don't think that you should be allowed to survive. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> we're going to get to the movie. There's there's a debate now since this movie is you know, over a decade old that um, <laughs> idiocracy is not satire anymore. And there, was an, there was something online that we saw that said it's actually a documentary. <laughs> and we kind of wanted to unpack that. So how accurate is the politics in the movie as entertainment? And how close are we getting to like a one-to-one -one match? What's your spin? Is it closer to satire or is it closer to a documentary now? I think you've got to determine what field we're discussing. If we're discussing politics, yes, I think it, it is It is a documentary or, or kind of a, a funny Black Mirror episode. If you're discussing lots of other things, though, we're way smarter. So like, <laughs> I don't think I know a single person at this point in my life who's not either writing a book or hosting a podcast. Every single person I know is doing one of those two things. So it's this weird deal where there are these- But does that mean you're smart? No, but, it, but smart. it does at least belie like an attention span, right? Fair. If you believe that your voice is worth hearing, you must be smart. Yes, exactly. Yes, that is the, the whole edifice of media <laughs> is predicated on that. Like my voice sounds uh, resonant, so I must have a master's degree. Um, so I, I it's it's weird where I think um, – I think there's two phenomena happening. I'm I'm very much on the Matt Ridley, Steven Pinker side of things. That the world's getting much better, and that by any metric that you want to look at things, the short term might be dark, but the long term's almost always better. We're we're less racist, we're less stupid, we're more educated, we're more literate. All those things in the long arc. I think that's happening on a big societal level. When you get into politics specifically, though, I think we have lots of incentives and mechanisms that reward people for being loud and reward them for being tribalistic and reward them for being stupid. And so we end up basically create, like imagine if in the film Idiocracy, everybody was really smart, but you were given a subsidy and a free ticket to that Thunderdome thing as long as you took your shirt off and you drank some whiskey. I feel like that's where we are in terms of the political system. I, I think I, I pretty much agree with that. On the curve of, uh, of suffering overall, maybe not uh, on a individual level, like when looking at, you know, maybe countries that uh, don't have it as well as we do. But even even then, when graded on a curve, I think, uh, generally speaking, we've improved. And uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think you just have to look at uh, recent events to get a sense of whether or not the politics feel accurate. I think as we get more disconnected as a people, which you'd think we'd be more connected because we have more things like this, like Zoom, like, uh, you know, Zen, yeah, like Zencaster specifically, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, they, they, that uh, we can connect with. Um, even still, I feel like people uh, self-isolate a lot more. And so 
the idea of like communal concern and communal ownership starts to uh, disappear in people's brains. And so they just put it on something, they put politics on someone that uh, gets the most attention rather than someone that they, they I, I feel like uh, social consideration, like as a people has declined. The, the other thing I'll add to that, Young, is that people are smarter and more educated now than they were 100 years ago. When you look at like IQs and things, IQs have been on the rise. So no no worries about the, the, uh, the specifically mentioned IQ chart in idiocracy. What I do think is happened is weirdly um, uninformed and stupid people feel very liberated to shout their opinions at this time in a way that I don't feel is appropriate. So like if I came on, I don't know, a hydraulic engineering podcast and I just had really, really strong feelings on artesian wells and they're like, do you know what an artesian well is? And I'm like, I don't, but my God, I have feelings. And I'll tell you this much. I hate these people that don't like artesian wells and I want you to reward me and give me likes on Twitter. Like we don't do that in any field, but for some reason, economics economics, you're totally allowed to do that. Of like, have you ever read a book on economics? No, I've never read a book, but I have lots of thoughts. So like there is this weird, like inverted bell curve kind of thing where I don't like, and I interview a bunch of experts. Do you know who doesn't get freaked out about things? Experts. They don't get flipped out, but like you talk to a stupid person, they flip out because politics largely exists and economics largely exists as excuses for stupid people to get loud. That's a, that's a fair point. <laughs> I guess the biggest thing that like sticks out in this movie is like this whole idea of like, Obviously, like we're no longer going to be intelligent beings and the world's overpopulated. We're going to be drowning in our own trash, you know, whatever our garbage avalanche is going to mm -hmm. take out half our population. <laughs> and this might have been more prevalent of an issue in early 2000s when this movie came out is that the idea of like overpopulation is mm -hmm. coming after us, um, that there's no space for anyone and that, well, now we're reproducing like crazy and it's only the dumb people that are doing that. But I think... There's this sentiment in this in this genre in general that it's all it's all negative. The future is negative, and you know we're heading we're heading towards the end, or we're heading we're heading towards humanity's decline. And I, I just don't think that's the case. And there's been a lot of work done about um, are we actually overpopulating the earth and that kind of stuff. That's just false at this point. Um, we're actually. Uh, by like mid-century of this year, we're not going to be replacing uh, the amount of people that are going to be passing away. Um, so this like myth of like overpopulation is very prevalent in this movie. And I guess that I, I guess is that like a marker of the time or do you think people still have that real fear? I think that's innate. I think that goes all the way back to Malthus. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Malthus had this idea that yeah. human beings are basically deer. And if you give a bunch of deer a field, <laughs> what are those deer going to do? They're going to mate and eat that grass, and they're just going to keep eating grass and cranking out whatever baby deer are called. Foals, maybe? Colts, young? Fawns, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Does. No, that's a female oh. deer. No, those I, are female deer. Uh, yeah, deer <laughs> they're going to keep making females, and we're against <laughs> female deer specifically. Yeah. They're going to keep cranking out those those foals and they'll keep eating the grass and, they're, and, and, and the only thing that's going to stop the process from happening is either the deer are going to starve to death or they're going to go to war as deer are wont to do. And so mm -hmm. there's right. this assumption that we're going to do this. I think it's oftentimes rooted in this kind of um, anti-humanist philosophy of people suck yeah. and we're so stupid. And like, it turns out, no, like we, as you point out, uh, we, we are about to reach peak fecundity, which will happen uh presumably in my life. Did you lifetime. make that word up? No, I used, I, I <laughs> read it one time <laughs> and I, I said it in a lecture and everybody laughed and I went, oh wow, this is a smart people, funny word. And so I went ahead and took it. Fecundity means horny. 
uh, except in terms of like output, I think <laughs> horny output, I think is a good, a good translation for fecundity. But what, what, ha- what tends to happen is when you've got poor agricultural societies, uh, you you need to crank out kids because you need literal farm hands to keep from starving to death. And then when you you get up to the next level where you don't have that anymore, now you know that it makes sense to have fewer kids because if you have fifteen kids, you're not going to be able to provide for them as well as, as if you had you know six or less. Uh, and then when you get to the first world, you're like, ah, oh, we could have one kid and go on vacation to Italy, or we could have two kids <laughs> and not go on vacation. And we really like them vacations to Italy. So basically, there, there's a, there's an inverted corollary with economic progress, where the more economically advanced a society gets, the lower the fecundity rate gets. Uh, the the I, I suppose people are equally horny, but but they they use birth control more. Or, or the, I don't know, the rotations of the moon or whatever people do so, for birth So control. as represented in Idiocracy, it's not that it's not the right time to have a kid. It's that we'd rather go to Sorrento. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that couple totally would have thought that, though. Like if, you, like if they already had a kid and they were like, you want to have another kid? They're like, I don't know. Well, we're putting so much money in our 401k. And uh, we, you know, once the kid's out of high school, we think we can probably just buy a boat. Like, yeah, that's absolutely what's happening. Do you think that there is uh, – so there was this call that it is not satire but documentary, but it's also been called, I think in retrospect especially, particularly cruel in its outlook and philosophy uh, and that it has been called sort of elitist porn, that uh, it, it is an opportunity for elitist people of, of, of I think, both very progressive and very conservative uh, mindsets to kind of mock the poor or the uneducated and say that they, we sort of lay the ills of society at their feet. Do you think that this movie is kind of cruel in its its disposition in that way? Uh, I, I mean, I know, Heaton, you've talked about this before on another libertarianism.org podcast, Free Thoughts, that comedy necessarily isn't necessarily about the, the punching metaphor, whether it's punching up or punching down. But I think it's hard to ignore that there is a sort of bite to this in, in certain directions. But w- would you agree with that, with that take? I, I, I feel like if this movie was made today, um, we wouldn't be looking at necessarily uh, lower class idiots. What we'd be looking at is influencer idiots, incredibly rich. I have too right. many boats and I'm driving a Hummer and I live on Hollywood Boulevard. Mm-hmm. And my neighbors hate me idiots. I don't really feel like I feel like this movie is not attacking uh, class necessarily. I think it's attacking willful um, stupidity. Uh, people who have specifically kind of made a choice to not mm. uh, educate or not even like try to increase their experience level in any kind of way. Uh, so I, I don't know. And also the movie didn't arouse me. So I don't think it fits the porn category. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, you know, you, it's, it's a great question, Landry. And I, it, it, it's something that I thought about, not, not necessarily about the morality of it or the trajectory of where the humor is aimed, but just the mechanics of the film. So rather controversial opinion. I don't find the movie very funny. Now I'm not offended by it. It's not a situation where I watch it and I'm like, Oh, this is horrible. I just don't think it's that good. Now I don't think it's awful. I, Either. Like I didn't, it wasn't like a, you know, spit it out of my mouth level bad. It was just, I'm going to give it like a, a, a C plus B minus. And I think the reason for that is, is mechanical. And that is, uh, and, and young, I'd love for you to weigh in on this because I know that, that you are very invested in improv it, to, to, to keep humor rolling long-term. It doesn't really work very well to make fun of somebody that's stupid or drunk. 
So like if Young, Young and I, once a year, we do an improv team where we do historical improv. When, when we're doing that, we know that it just, not, not in, a, in a morality sense, not in a, this is mean or not mean sense, but just in a, in a, a does this work kind of way. If, if I come into a scene and I'm drunk and falling down and that kind of stuff, it's funny for the first time. And then after that, you really can't go anywhere with it. And, and stupidity works much the same way. So when they're all stupid, like you, you, it could work where if, if you had a stupid character and so there's contrast and there's juxtaposition and things like that, it would work okay. I, I just, I didn't think it worked that well. The kind of gawking element. Uh, there were one or two moments where I was caught off guard and, and the surprise made me laugh. But when it was just like, yeah, these people are really stupid. I just, I never found it that funny. Uh, I, I rewatched it, uh, this week just to refresh myself since I hadn't seen it since it came out. Uh, and yeah, I, me too. I, kind of agree i there were definitely moments where i like i got a little chuckle out of something that i'm like oh that's that's a funny way to to say that or a funny way to to show that like there's a lot of cool visual gags in the movie yeah um but but yeah when you when you have a whole bunch of people that are just blanket stupid don't seem to have any agency so they're, they're it's almost not like they're making choices it's just they're running on like a kind of robotic default of like i don't know Moreover, you know, um, Luke Wilson's character is not particularly smart either. So it's not like uh, it's not like you have a, a very extreme contrast. You have uh, people out yeah. of four and then someone out of six. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, the the satire to me um, didn't hold up as well as I kind of thought it would um, when I saw it as a. Yeah. How old was I? Too young. <laughs> so, so that said, in answer to your other part about it being elitist, I, I think it has elements of that. I don't think it's it's not I, – I don't think it's super elitist. I think that – like I really – for the record, I love Mike Judge. I think he's a brilliant comedian and a brilliant humorist. I, I think mm-hmm. he's a, a genius. So I really like him. And I love King of the Hill. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't get the impression that it was sneering at – uh, uh, poor, poor people or working class people. I didn't get that sneering element that you sometimes get. Um, it, it, there's some of it there, but I but I think it was more of just it was more of like kind of broy humor, um, making fun of poor people. So it wasn't. This is not the New Yorker making fun of hillbillies. This is bros, right. like who, people who like uh, prank videos, making fun of poor dumb people, right? So it's kind of, there's a different element to it. It's a little bit more lateral. That said, though, it exists quite a lot in our culture. And a lot of the time, it's this kind of weird sleeper thing where, uh, like, when, when I was in New York, I, I rarely get offended by comedy. But, like, I was I was in a couple scenes where the joke was that, like, somebody with an accent like this is saying smart things. And I'm like, so all of my relatives are just stupid and it's hilarious to you that that if you've got an accent, you could be smart? Like, I'm I'm offended by this. My uncle Dan's a very smart man, but he kind of sounds like that. Uh, so like, I think th- this <laughs> does tend to happen, uh, but it tends to be very like socioeconomic. And it also tends to be more regional, whereas this didn't have any regional element whatsoever. They, they do have the White House at one point, but there's no element where Luke Wilson's character's from, uh, I don't know, like California, but all these yokels live in Alabama. And a lot of the time, humor like that tends to take on that pretension where like like Appalachia, uh, the South, anything like that, uh, there's there's a kind of classist element to it that is sort of abrogated because, well, we're making fun of white people, so it doesn't count. Right, and there's this weird kind of like almost multicultural angle that is present throughout the film where you have this very dense urban network of people. You've got a lot of sort of like uh, linguistic mixing where there's this like... There's a kind of like like a cholo element to it. It's like... Yeah. and, and and and, And the white people are all like 
Florida panhandle white trash. Like it's this very specific, <laughs> like there's not really any like yes. Southern Alabama mm-hmm. characters. There's not any like Virginia. It's all like people who own jet skis, which by the way, that was a really funny visual when they cut to Washington DC and the, uh, the Washington or the link, the Lincoln reflecting pool just has a bunch of jet skiers in it. Like that was really <laughs> funny. That did make me laugh out loud. The sight gags I think are the strongest part of the movie. I think by far, cause it just, it builds the world, but it doesn't really, it, it's that's just like, there I mean, gags. that's the whole reason like the whole Costco thing is there because like I think the like visuals like the Costco the Starbucks obsession and I, I hope we get into like the healthcare system <laughs> um but like going back to what Young was saying I don't necessarily think it it had this been released today for example I'm not sure it would I'm sure it would turn a lot of heads and be like um this is like not cool but like I don't think it it would be the way I viewed it. I don't think it would be as like as funny. Like I I think it would have been funnier for me to watch it back in 2006 than it was for me to watch it today. I, I think it would also be it would be irresistible for people making the film to not highly politicize it, or, or that is to say, to not to to not militize the the stuff so that uh, the stupid people are very clearly going to have a political orientation. And the, the smart people, and they really didn't have that in this one. It just, I mean, you gave maybe a guess and stuff, but it really wasn't very clear. Like you, you never got the impression that that was really built into it, which might be owed to, to Mike Judge. Uh, Mike, Mike Judge, I don't know what Mike Judge's politics are, but his, like, um, are, are you all familiar with Arnold Kling by chance? Yeah. Great. I am a big fan of Arnold Kling. I, three, three languages, languages of politics. Yeah, three languages of politics. I, I am, I am a, a Kling acolyte, a Klingon, as we say in the community. I don't know who uh, this and, is. Uh, you know, may, may I fill you in? Yeah. Yeah, give Great. me some so, beats. Arnold Kling wrote The Three Languages of Politics, as noted by, uh, by our friends here. And his premise is that progressives tend to understand things in terms of victim versus oppressor. Libertarians tend to understand things in terms of voluntary versus coercive, and conservatives tend to understand things in terms of civilization versus entropy or civilization versus barbarism, but basically civilization versus bad, right? Well, like what is it? What is idiocracy? It's a tale about civilization declining. It's it's actually a conservative narrative in a vague way, but it's I would say that it's more conservative than say like um, like, like notice that there was no evil business villain in this film. There wasn't like like if if this had been made by somebody else, uh, you you would have like the like the Lego uh, Lord Business kind of Mitt Romney looking guy, and he'd be bad mm-hmm. because he's <laughs> but like you know like the CEO and it's yeah. like the like the guy from uh, uh, the Gatorade equivalent. He's never in there. And like like King of the Hill, which is by Mike Judge as well, I, I would argue is conservative humor. It's a very good example of very funny conservative humor as opposed to progressive humor, uh, of which there's much. Uh, but but it, for that reason, my guess is that he's not quite as quite um thinking about it plus 2005 was also just less political which was a nice thing about 2005 also i mean to your point office space is about the the rise of uh the greatness of construction workers so <laughs> i just watched that movie for the first time two nights ago <laughs> what and we haven't talked about it <laughs> Well, that made me think specifically about what this sort of the genre of like slap of the slacker film, which is definitely in that office space sort of genre that Mike Judge worked in. But then you've also got you know, clerks and slacker and things like that, which is uh, I mean, that 
oddly enough, there's a lot of, you know, Texas based movies there. Um, you've got a lot of people in that sort of film scene that are all making those, that types of genre. Um, what does that like, why did we not see that as much anymore in movies? Is it, have we sort of gotten over identifying with that kind of person? Is it like that thing in the shockingly funny, I think 22 jump street where when they go to the high school and instead of being cool and all the kids being like slackers who wear their backpack with one strap to be cool is to be very involved and committed to sustainability and that caring and earnestness is what is like the thing to be. I'm not sure we have gotten away from that. I just think that instead of films, we've moved to YouTube and Instagram and, and TikTok. Fair. Sure. Uh, You know, just to, to harken back to what I was saying earlier, it's like some of these YouTube channels where the whole thing is, look, we're all in a pool together and I'm going to pull my friend's pants down is the, like you have millions of views on stuff like that. So, uh, you know, maybe that's a, the, uh, I don't know. I, I, maybe that's natural transition from, uh, where we used to watch America's funniest home videos. But I think that's just the, that, that movies, what we used to see in movies, which is like a well-written idea, you know, like you look at something like the big Lebowski, which I think is the best slacker movie in my opinion. Um, and that kind of, it's like, if you're going to, if all you have to do to represent a a slacker is just sit in your yard, uh, why write a movie? (laughs) Uh, right. Yeah. I think the, the tropes have also changed. So when I was in high school, um, the, the idea of people that live at the mall, was very much a trope in popular culture. A mall was a cultural oh, yeah. institution, which no longer yeah, mall rats. They might, yeah, malls might still exist, but I, I would the mall, yeah, the mall rat trope I think is gone. And I think the other trope that's kind of gone is like the, uh, um, who's the pothead in Ridgemont High? Uh, 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 Sean, Sean Penn. Penn's character. Um, that kind of yeah, that 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 uh, high school pothead character I don't really see anymore. Maybe it's because I don't watch high school comedies anymore, but I feel like that's declined. The the, the trope that I think could come up that I don't know that we're making fun of that much is like, I think of the massive amount of people that um, dedicate so much of their time and energy to tweeting stuff. And then if you talk to them and you're (laughs) like, do you volunteer anywhere? And they're like, well, no, I'm very busy. Uh, Okay. Do you, do you donate to charity? No, you know, I'm I'm saving up money because I really want to go to Canada this year. And it's like, so you just tweet. That's all you do. You shout into the ether and say <laughs> you say th- you say nothing loudly to people who don't care who are actively on the toilet. That's that's your contribution to mankind. Thank you for that. But I, I don't, for whatever reason, we're not making fun of them that much. Just I don't think you know what it might be. It might be that you know in the in the two thousands the idea of the slacker, and I'm I'm also now remember that Pineapple Express is like two thousand eight or two thousand nine. The idea of like the slacker yeah. as a hero, as someone that says, "I'm not going to play in your system." Uh, everyone's telling me I have to do things this way and I'm not going to do it. The idea of that is like a hero character, I think is gone now. You can't, because A, there are so many people who are just living the slacker life. And B, um, I think now we're at a point where uh, demonstrative um, activism is more important. Meaning I have to show that to, to mm. I have to show that I care very, very hard. Um, yeah. not activism yeah. per- as in like, I have to show that I'm actually per- like performative con- activism or, yeah. or just at least performative emotion, um, yeah. is yeah. very which important, is, which right is now. tough for those of us that are stoic. Uh, we, we get in trouble. I, w- I wonder if there's a generational element too, in that, um, 
the, the, the sort of like, like, like baby boomers, um, sort of always viewed themselves as the hip cool kids. Like that was the baby boomer identity. They're like, they're the hip people, which is why aging has been very difficult for them because they're having <laughs> with being old. Uh, and they liked making fun of Gen X and that was their thing. And then when millennials came around and we're now kind of the old people, like I, like I, I whenever anybody talks about like, Oh, these millennials. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Millennials are now middle managers. Like millennials aren't the people <laughs> in college. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. a different generation that, that passed. Like, so we're, the wise anybody that's like 37 that's like yeah we're the new guys sorry you're not we're now what gen xers were but i but i i also because millennials kind of came of age when like hey we all wanted to go get jobs and stuff we couldn't because there was a recession and like so so we we don't find the whole slack we don't find it as funny from older people making fun of us for being lazy because we're like way to screw up the system so that we can't get enfranchised we actually want to go work and we can't so I, i don't know that it's as amusing to us I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I mean, yeah, the generation prior to us was the person that celebrated not fitting into the culture of, you know, going to a job uh, uh, for 40 hours a week and providing for a family and stuff like that. That was that was started to be anathema to people who were like, oh, this is this because you're always making movies that are attacking the system that's currently in place. It doesn't really make sense to attack a system that fell out of place 10 years ago. Yeah, I, that said though, it's still I don't know when I watch British comedies, like like uh, British comedies love making fun of religious people, and I'm like, who on your island still believes in God? Who, who are you <laughs> making fun of here? You're all atheists. Like I like I was in Scotland one time and I saw an Orange Man parade, which is like a Protestant parade, and I went up to one of the guys and I was like, hey, I'm sorry to bother you, but like I have not met anybody here that goes to church. Like, why are you worried about Catholics? And he went, oh, well. They don't believe in the Catholic God. We don't believe in the Protestant God. Like they were, everybody was an atheist in the equation. But like, well, but some of the old, <laughs> some of the they, their grandparents were Catholics, and our grandparents were Protestants. We all don't think there's a God, but we still hate each other and fight and get drunk. So like, but they'll they'll, they'll make fun of it. But I think it's kind of an easy target for them. Yeah, but is it funny? Yeah, sure. I mean, like, I think the the equivalent though would be like under our our current system. I think there's there's maybe two things you could make fun of if you were going to buck the system. You could make fun of the economic system and you could make fun of the social system. Uh, the economic system would be I probably like you'd have like a van life comedy where the the van life protagonist is the one changing it or or you do like another office space vans the shoes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. They're very popular shoes. So, so you, you could you could do that. You could still rebel against the 40-hour work week and that kind of thing, the materialism. The, if you were going to make fun of the social stuff, though, like I think that um, – I have to be careful with my words here. It's not that – it's not that um, the – aims of political correctness are are funny or deserving of be targets like i don't think that anybody should be making fun of transgender people or anything like that but the kind of sanctimony and uh yeah the sanctimony that surrounds a lot of the people that promote that culture that is a wide target that really isn't being hit by hollywood it would be like the equivalent of um what was that movie religious no oh dogma yeah well, dogma, dogma kind of is making fun of a, a different thing, but I think religious, religious. If I if I'm remembering the movie correctly, is that Bill Maher? No, I think is religious. religious I'm, I'm thinking of another. One. What was the one with Macaulay Culkin and uh, Home Alone? That's Home Alone. Well, Home Alone. <laughs> yeah, Home Alone. <laughs> was, was, Joe, was Joe Pesci trying to break into his house? Was that the plot? Uh, no, I think Joe Pesci was a uh, was a priest. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no there was some there was some movie that was I guess uh, it was Macaulay Culkin and I don't know maybe Mandy Moore or someone was in yeah, it. Yeah, it was Saved. Saved. Yeah, which the idea was uh, in that situation they're very much making fun of the. Uh, 
you know, the person who thinks that they're holier than thou. And I feel like that's kind of an equivalent to what you're, what we're looking at now. It's like, if you're going to make a movie that's going to make fun of like uh, social activists, you're not going to make fun of the, what they're active for. You're going to make fun of the fact that they're uh, making sure to present themselves as the, as the most active, the most right. uh, pure version of that self. Yeah. In the same way that you could make like a nineties film where you're making fun of like, say a, a Baptist church camp, you're not necessarily making fun of the doctrine, but you are making fun of the like camp counselor that's holier than thou, but is also having sex with, you know, multiple people at night and doing drugs and things. You're making, again, the hip hypocrisy and sanctimony are always good targets for comedy and should be. Was anyone else surprised that there was still a White House? Like, of all things to keep, why did we keep the White I House? would have expected them to change the color. Uh, right. Yeah. Like camouflage or That gold. was a missed opportunity. Yeah, hot pink. Oh, well, I think it might have something to do with you still, even even if you're going to kind of change the, the, the state of the world, you still have to have touchstones uh, right. for the yeah. audience to be right. like, well, okay, this is, I recognize this, but it's different. So showing the White House with a, uh, an above ground pool and a broken swing set in the front is like, okay, I, I understand that this is now the, the white trash house, right? Uh, well, also, Young, you would know this better, but did, did they just like blatantly take the soundtrack from Planet of the Apes? Because I feel like they were using the Planet of the Apes soundtrack, which I think was probably intentional. Oh, it do it wouldn't surprise me. Were there a lot of? Uh, I don't remember it specifically. Were there a lot of like uh, drums, minor key piano and riffs? Yeah, there, were, uh, there weren't. There, there were a lot of like like you know dun 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 dun. Like yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm out of my expertise there. Uh, the composer, <laughs> I think, was Theodore Shapiro, and that wouldn't surprise me if he uh, was making reference to things specifically, especially because it's like Planet of the Apes is the same. It's the same narrative, more or less. It's uh, a guy. Same movie. Yeah, it's the same right. movie. You know, the difference is, uh, <laughs> yeah, we have uh, people who stack TVs on top of each other yeah. or apes. So <laughs> it, it's just, it's just ra rather than being in an emergent shift where the apes have supplanted the humans, it's it's a downward shift where the humans have become apes. And there probably aren't any apes left in this world except for the ones they're testing the uh, the erectile dysfunction pills on. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or or alternately, like I, there's probably a state in the union that has uh, a chimpanzee for governor, like that kind like like that kind of thing, <laughs> where they only occupy very high or very low positions yeah. within this world. Hey, don't joke. Harambe got a decent amount of votes in 2016. That's true. Harambe did pretty well. Like Ten thousand. R.I.P. Yeah. <laughs> he would he would have been a great president. It's a real shame. I'm voting for him in 2024. Uh, one thing I did, uh, you had mentioned the uh, the training system for becoming like the well, two things: the healthcare system and the fact that that guy becomes a lawyer uh, <laughs> from Costco. Costco <laughs> I, I didn't say university; he just says he got his degree here. Uh, so I am wondering what are the what is the civic setup of Costco? It was it its own city? <laughs> that's that's what it seemed like to me is that it sort of became it it just became like urban sprawl at that point, but it was just Costco sprawl and these like Blade Runner esque towers of of scaffolding have risen into the sky and extend into infinity. I guess it could happen. I just wonder, like who? Like there are police in Costco? Are those Costco police? Are they? Is, is that the natural evolution of the uh, of the of the standard Costco security team? Is they become their own police force? Uh, also, uh, the train. I didn't notice people using any tickets. Is it a ticketed train system or is it free public transport at Costco? Well, it's. I have so many questions about the rules of the world that they have set up because it is simultaneously like mega corporations like Verizon. 
Costco, you know, Carl's Jr., whatever, have taken over everything from, you know, phone systems to the FDA, but they haven't taken over the White House um, and, and such. And they have built up all of this technology to automate tons of these processes. And then at some point, there is like a drop off where everyone just <laughs> says, all right, they will work they will be fu- semi-functional in perpetuity as long as we have someone to press uh, like a picture button to, that tells someone where to go in the hospital. It's it's interesting because they talk about it being this gradual decline of sort of falling into this dystopia. But it seems that there was like a sort of like a, a tipping point where we had built up all of this innovation and infrastructure and then nobody knew what to do with it, but they were far enough ahead that they knew to make it simple enough that dumb people could use it. Mm, So it's this weird thing of like, at at (laughs) what point did they cross the line and then how rapidly did the smart people just become extinct? Well, and it, yeah, cause it seems (laughs) like the, the movie is setting up the narrative that it's just, there were more dumb people. But uh, it's, right. it seems to me like, to some extent, the the fact that they'd created an automated system to just keep the world going is partially responsible for that continued decline, right? Because the minute that you sure. don't have to have any kind of discrete knowledge or even like uh, a, a desire to learn how a system operates, in theory, your brain is less challenged and you become dumber and dumber and dumber, right? I. I I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I'm not an educator and I don't want to be. Uh, but <laughs> that, I hear they sell degrees at Costco now. Yeah. <laughs> we can all become we can all become doctors. Yeah. yeah I could probably uh, borrow my <laughs> grandmother's membership. Yeah. That, that that does happen though. That kind of um like I think it's in Guns, Germs, and Steel by Jared uh, Jared Diamond, where he talks about how you have to have a certain amount of you have to have a big enough population to have specialization for certain technologies to exist, you can lose them. So like a a good example of this is Tasmania. People that got to Tasmania absolutely arrived there by boat. But once they got to Tasmania, their population declined and there weren't enough people to have boat makers be among the population. So when when, uh, English people started arriving or the Dutch, I don't know who made contact, like by that point, they would just kind of like take a log out to sea and like just sort of use the log for a little bit till it got waterlogged and it would drop. But they'd lose that lost that technology. But then conversely, you can even just lose it regardless of population. Like uh, when the Roman Empire fell, I mean, people weren't building infrastructure after that for a while. You didn't have the same level of, of sophistication aqueducts uh, and uh, the quality of ga- uh, gladiatorial games really declined. Uh, oh, and, and roads. Uh, um, Everyone talks about the roads. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the one thing the Romans really were truly gifted at was building them roads. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> no, don't. We're on a. We, we work for libertarianism.org. You're not allowed to mention roads. Oh, right. <laughs> it's yes, not, that's not a allowed. That's strictly off limits. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I'm sure they had some toll roads in ancient Rome. <laughs> Yeah, there was probably a private sector thing going. You wonder if it hadn't been for the decline of the Roman Empire, we never would have got Elon Musk. There's a direct correlation <laughs> between the two. You needed to have that to have the private sector. The Romans were absolute garbage at putting people in rockets, in my opinion. I'll say it. <laughs> controversial statement. You know, <laughs> you know what? To, to 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 jump to jump complete genres here. I think the Star Wars universe is in a dark age. Uh, I've 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 read some good theories, and I'm I'm in agreement with this that. The, the, the galaxy itself, like when you look at it, like why would you need like a protocol translator droid? Like they have all these weird redundant technologies where like, for, for example, Jabba the Hutt 
has like a torture room for robots. Why don't you just reprogram the robots? They're robots, but they don't have that. They have a torture room to put them in line. Uh, when, when Luke and Uncle Owen are purchasing a protocol droid, they need it to translate for the other droids. They can't just give them software updates. Like, so it seems like there, there was some predecessor civilization that was much more sophisticated that has lost its capacity and they're, they're, able to build stuff, but they're mostly able to just rebuild or duplicate things, but they can't construct new things that serve roles. And so they're sort of a peg or two down from whatever the apex Other was. than giant planet-destroying orbs? Yeah, they're really good. That's the problem is they're very good at that. Or Star Wars is just in the galaxy of the universe that Idiocracy is in. <laughs> There's potential crossover way in the future. <laughs> no, I have to put my foot down here. I'm sorry. I must put my foot down. It is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. There's even no. an asterisk that no. says not the same galaxy as Idiocracy. Yeah. You, okay, but you don't know that for sure. Yes, I, we do. It says it at the beginning of every one of those movies. Anymore. All I have is Star Wars and Star Trek. I'll join right. Natalie on this one. Well, Good. Fine. Thank <laughs> you. Natalie wasn't on oh. our Star Wars episode for a reason, so. <laughs> I'm not a Star Wars fan. <laughs> Oh, uh, okay. All right. Okay. I was kicked off my own podcast. You wow. volunteered to leave. <laughs> the drama is coming out. Star Trek and, and Star Wars both at this point have, uh, I mean, Star Wars is at least starting to play in this. And I know Star Trek has done it. They've created so many multi-universe nonsense that I'm sure that idiocracy crosses over at some point. And at some point, uh, you know, they'll make an episode uh, of Star Wars where Doctor Strange shows up and shows us how it all connects into one <laughs> giant universe uh, that uh, crosses time and space. Number one, we're going to beam down to the Spider-Man planet to meet <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> well, it's it's the what the the Tommy Westfall theory from saying elsewhere that all these worlds are connected by the snow right. globe uh, uh, that the kid holds where all those TV crossovers and anything that crosses over with those. I, I do believe that that's entirely that's possible. possible. See, yes. Natalie's right. Okay, Thank I you. Do, yes, I am wrong. <laughs> you convinced me. You, I, got that me. You, you played the Saint Elsewhere card. Uh, I yep. I, I I digress. Something else we didn't we haven't touched on yet is like that. I guess they make fun of presidential pardons, like they're giving out like their candy, which that part made me chuckle a little bit because. The whole discussion that happened when Trump was leaving office and everyone was like, who's he going to pardon? Or is he going to pardon his whole family? Is he going to pre-pardon them? What, who, who is it legal for him to pardon? And it was just like this long conversation about pardoning. And then in this movie, when they were the, when they were discussing like how he was going to get his pardon and go back, go back in time, back into the time machine that wasn't a time machine, um, was like, I thought that part was funny in today's context, but probably wasn't funny at the time. I mean, presidential pardons have been, I mean, we've only gotten more and more of them as time has gone on. But And yet um, they make perfect sense and there's no flaws in the system. See, that's why it's funny because this is the documentary element I think I should have mentioned earlier. That the presidential pardon uh, depiction in this movie is exactly what happens in real life. You know what? Okay. Yeah, but he didn't have to seek like a blanket one for any reason. I've just I've yeah, you know right. decided my, my new goal is to alienate as many of your listeners as I can. So I'm just gonna pick every unpopular position that I can. I actually I, I am a fan of presidential <laughs> pardons. I think they should be there for this reason. 
Uh, I'm sure that Trump pardoned a bunch of corrupt political hacks. I think Paul Manafort probably got a pardon. I don't remember who all got, but a bunch of people got pardoned. Exactly. It happens every, right. whenever a president's leaving. Like the last thing they do is they free a bunch of their buddies for tax evasion, right? Um, well, but, yeah, it's Oprah style. You get a pardon. You get a pardon. Yeah, you get a pardon. But prior to that, like who else did he pardon? Like he pardoned a bunch of drug offenders that uh, had, or either had their. Uh, I know that Obama commuted a bunch of sentences. Um, uh, Trump pardoned several people that that had been there for nonviolent drug offense. And I, I think you can make like like it's kind of like an extension to the judicial system of we would rather have five guilty people not be prosecuted than have uh, and then accidentally prosecute innocent people. And I think the pardon works the same way. Unfortunately, it's just it's going to result in graft. It's going to result in corruption. But I, I'd like that to be there in hopes that other innocent people can benefit from it. And I think it's a net positive. I mean, I think there's a simple oh, fix yeah. that you can do that. Uh, which is just anyone who has a direct connection to the president can't be pardoned. Yeah, or or alternately, you could maybe even have like some sort of check and balance on it, where there's like a, a pardon council that can override them, um, so that if they do something truly heinous, like because like, like if it's like ah, oh, he, I heard he pardoned Costco this. does that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he pardoned this 52 year old that was in jail for meth and is now like a really nice lady, like noticeably different than like, uh, well, my son stole um, a head out of the Smithsonian and keeps it on his desk. <laughs> Like, like, yeah, okay. Right. One is egregious. The other one's understandable. Do, should we add uh, Monday Night Rehabilitation, though, into our uh, into our judicial system or our, uh, yeah, our, our penal system? So first of all, of course. Second, can I ask? Okay, <laughs> wait, hold on. Can I, can I keep trying to alienate people? Go ahead. Go for You're it. You're on it. You're on good. I think we should have, I think we should have corporal punishment as part of the judicial system. Hear me out on this. I think... I think that there should be an either or option you can do where the judge says, we're going to send you to prison for, for, for like nonviolent crimes, for things like, uh, um, tax evasion, things like that. We're either going to send you to prison for six years or you get caned. You can do either one of those. Cause I would pick caned. I would like, I don't want to go to prison for six years. I actually, I actually think it would be more humane to give people, I wouldn't make it, I would never make the violence obligatory. I would never, ever, ever do that because that's sick and twisted, but I would actually leave it as an option available to people if they didn't want to do the time. Because like, I would like your, I don't know, a punishment served. And that means all the people that like view the prison system as punitive are they get their kicks out of it. Uh, but also we don't have to spend tax dollars. You'd on offer, yeah, you'd so, offer anyway. caning as your choice. I would probably do spankings, I think, is what I would do. But I guess you'd just have a really I, burly I, per- I don't know. I haven't thought about this entirely, but actually You'd also have a lot of people itching to do crimes at that point, I'm sure. <laughs> it would you would, you know you'd get a very interesting sort of new not prison population, but wait, uh, so wait, a lot of people getting charged. So follow up question. Are monster truck rallies still a thing? Because yeah. I remember them being a thing when I was a kid. If, if I just become such fair. a such a spiraling elitist that I haven't seen any advertising for them in 20 years yeah. is that what's going they on they still have monster truck rallies they still have nascar uh that they still have uh, knew that one yeah uh what are other things that you would have uh <laughs> ignored <laughs> as you progressed into the, the 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 tweed universe yeah that's right yes i've, I've got a deep, deeper deeper into the tweetosphere <laughs> do you jog in the tweed heaton yeah yeah well i put on my tweed jogging suit like any respectable college graduate they're separate there's two separate yeah, he's got separates <laughs> yeah it breathes it's got patches on each uh, on each cheek. It's it's got yeah it's got it's got uh, butt patches, elbow patches, and back of the knee patches. All of my joints are very sensitive back of, because back I am very Back, back, of, the back of the knee patches, the most uh, the most worn and exposed part of the knee. <laughs> 
Well, your also your idea about corporal punishment makes me just wonder that. I mean, in theory, that does sound great, but of course, we would just find a way to turn that into a sort of plea deal scenario where we've just like we're going to incentivize. Right. Yeah, or or the, the 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 other thing we could do is that like 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 the legislature could go, okay, for this particular crime, it's either six canings, which will probably debilitate you forever, or five hundred years in prison. Which one do you want? <laughs> yes. so, okay, you know what? I actually I retract. My <laughs> shooting from the hip proposal. I am now. There's no way that would be enacted right against the thing I said I was in favor of because I could evolve over time. But you became smarter, not dumber. Yes, yes. In my case, it's always a one-way trajectory. I become more virile and more intelligent with each passing day. We're gonna have to add this to the catalog of uh, Heaton's two-minute complete change of mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of a 180. Just a complete 180. Yeah, you're right. I, I'm completely against that thing. And now for the time in the show where we get to share all of the other things that we've been enjoying with our time at home. This is Locked In. Heaton, Andrew, what else have you been enjoying during your time at home? Locked In? Uh, anything, you know, movies, TV shows, music, games, uh, anything else you've been doing with your time? What What has been filling the void for you yeah i guess we're i guess we're we're coming to the close of this period um so i i've read a bunch of books um i just finished a book called i claudius by robert graves which is a great i, I love historical novels this one's about uh, a roman emperor which is delightful uh and then conversely i read a science fiction book that i enjoyed called we are legion we are bob uh, about von Neumann probes and cryonics, very good, very good thing. And in terms of the like, the only um, like kind of media rabbit hole I went down during uh, the pandemic is uh, a friend of mine and I attempted to watch every to, to watch a zombie film from every country that has produced a zombie film. We tried to get a global <laughs> worldview because it's not every country, right? But we got a lot of them. Like I've now seen uh, Cuban, French. Quebecois, generally Canadian, uh, American, British, and I think what else? Uh, Spanish and African. Uh, but the African one, and I know that Africa is not a country, but I also kind of like, there's an asterisk there because they build themselves as an African one, but there were a bunch of English people in Africa. So, right, you know, still. Anyway, that was a fun thing. And I got to say, uh, Ravenous, which is a Quebecois zombie film, is one of the finest I've seen. Well done. I uh, used to really resent Quebec for just refusing to get on board with the program. Come on, you guys got conquered like 300 years ago, learn English. But the uh, the film Ravenous was actually really good, and I think I'm on, I, I now I'm pro Quebec. I've done the 180. <laughs> I've come around. Uh, yeah, so those, those are the things I've been enjoying. A classic yep. heat and turn. So when we do a zombie episode, we know who to call. <laughs> oh yeah, I'd be great. I, you know what? I, me and my friend Jennings would be great for that. Uh, for my end, uh, let's see. Um, I uh, I recently watched uh, I guess recent is all relative, but um, about six six or five or six months ago, um, started watching the new TV show for All Mankind, uh, which is uh, fantastic, uh, especially if you are an alternate history fan, which I am, uh, and I know Heaton is as well. Um, uh, they just do a really good job of uh, showing America losing, but in a hopeful way, <laughs> which is uh, which is pretty cool. Um, like it, it has, it does this excellent job of like, what would actually happen if we lost the race to the moon and, uh, just kind of showing, you know, what kind of, uh, what it does to the American psyche and then how we kind of have to rise up to, 
you know, to, to regain our place against the, uh, the Soviets. Um, so I, I highly recommend that one. It's the same, um, same, uh, showrunner and creator that did uh, Battlestar Galactica. If you're a, a Battlestar fan or, uh, one of the supervising Joe Pesci. what Joe Pesci. Yeah. Joe Pesci. Yeah. yeah. Joe Pesci. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, he's also the he was also the supervising producer on um, Star Trek TNG and Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So uh, high marks Ron for Moore? that. Uh, yeah, Ronald D. Moore, uh, also known as Joe yes. Pesci. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people <laughs> don't know Ron Moore and Joe Pesci. It's one of them's just a stage name. Same person. A mask. <laughs> um, Very talented man. I'm, Very talented. Uh, man. The other thing that uh, I recently read. Um, which I really enjoyed was the Splendid and the Vile, uh, Eric Larson's uh, biography on Churchill, uh, which uh, was fantastic. Churchill was just an uh, interesting dude, uh, and mm. uh, it does a good job of showing. You have to look into that fella. Yeah, so <laughs> people should check him out. He's uh, uh, he's mm. older, meaning okay. <laughs> meaning in the past, not uh, of age. Mm. Okay. All right. So you know he was never young. Actually, no, he was never. Mm-hmm. He was always. He was old. never a youth. But a great, but a great president, and he is owed our respect for that. <laughs> I'm not Rushmore. Yeah, uh, responsible <laughs> for uh, adding the East Wing to the White House. Uh, a lot of people don't mm-hmm. know that. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you get. We should start another show called "A Lot of People Don't Know That," <laughs> where we just lie. That, that, that is. <laughs> <laughs> just lie. Young and my retirement strategy is just to enter senility full steam with complete confidence and continue podcasting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that's that's. I think that's mostly it. I don't. I mean, I've I've been reading some other stuff, but uh, it's all crap. Um, so so I don't know that I'd pitch any of it. <laughs> Uh, for me, I started I started reading Twenty Thirty Four, which is, um, it's a book. So it's supposed to be set in the future, but using the present, our present foreign policy lack of debate to inform how our foreign policy is going to look in the future. So it is fiction, um, but it's written by um, Elliot Ackerman and Admiral James something or other. It's, it's about a world war, right? I, yeah, like so it's a, it's about World War Three. It's a it's a it's a with China. I mean, shocker. But um, people keep so not it, Germany. Pe- yeah. Whoa, didn't see that coming. <laughs> people keep saying yeah, that. I, so, I actually feel like we're to to harken back. And I think we're due for a world war with Tasmania. Yeah, <laughs> they've been, yep. I'm in favor of it. <laughs> now that they've now that they've gotten back smug to making, down there. Now that they've gotten back to making boats again. <laughs> yeah, boats. <laughs> They're no longer waterlogged, so mm-hmm. now they're a threat to America. It's hot, <laughs> hot during Christmas down there. That's not right. That's perverted. <laughs> um, for other stuff I've done, I oh, I meant to start watching Home Economics, which is the, a new ABC show. I I've heard mixed reviews. We'll see. Um, it's from the same creators of um, Blackish and Mixedish. Is, the, is that the other one? Did. Mixed dish because yeah. because the joke they made about the home economics was they were going to call it it was going to be another ish show It'd be I think they were like doing like home ish and then the commercial was like we can't have another ish show too many people won't watch mm. <laughs> um but yeah so I'm going to start that I would have called it domestic ish you should pitch that to them trademark it. yeah I have I have a, a friend great, I actually have a friend Roman who, emperor yeah I have a friend who writes on uh, on mixed ish. I'll, 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 oh, yeah, really? I'll cool. send them a, a message and just say, hey, listen, hmm. uh, they should change the name of the show now that it's already aired. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that goes well. Yeah. 
Oh, and um, a show that's not very good that I watched <laughs> is uh, Manifest, which is one of those like classic plain TV shows <laughs> where uh, yeah, well, you were, you did not said that it was bad the last time we talked on this show anymore. before you. That happens. <laughs> they ruined it. That happens a lot. You did the heat and turn. <laughs> I th- yeah, this is my 180 degree heat and turn. It's this not is good if anymore. We, if we could figure out a way to positively brand flip-flopping to where it's like a sign <laughs> of strength and leadership when I do it and then associate my name with it, that would be great. I would love for that to be a thing. Heat and turn. <laughs> Moral flexibility. And then you can rehabilitate John Kerry. <laughs> uh, I Also, an Eric Larson book, I I finally got on board and read Devil in the White City. Oh, um, that's a good one. About the, the World's Fair and H.H. Uh, Holmes. H.H. Holmes, the seedy goings on there. Very, very interesting stuff had been recommended to me. Uh, so many times I finally got around to blazing through that. Um, I also, music-wise, the musical artist Sammy Ray, if you like sort of funk jazz kind of stuff like uh, Lake Street Drive or Hiatus Coyote, just really, really amazing voice, uh, uh, top-notch production, sort of big band, uh, new jazz stuff. Uh, I highly recommend the song uh the feeling or uh kick it to me um those are really really great um uh and i'm still playing a lot of red dead redemption 2 because i'm just living out my fantasy of being a cowboy and being much much tougher and grizzled than i ever will be and uh wait is it a is it a western zombie game uh, there is the one of the ones before it they did do a zombie game they did a a zombie version of it but this one is just straight yeah i don't want to i don't want to be shooting native americans if it's like a western cowboy game that sounds bad but i'm okay with zombies there are clan members in the game, funny enough, that... Uh, can you shoot them or no? Well, you can. You can shoot everyone. As it should you know, be. They're not, it's not... <laughs> but <laughs> That's it, it guns will work. either give you bonus points or deduct points from your honor rating. But if you kill members of the clan, you do not lose uh, points to your honor rating. Oh, uh, I was also going to recommend if you're if you're getting on the Eric Larson train, uh, in the Garden of Beasts is fantastic. It's from the per- it's all written from the perspective of the American ambassador to in Berlin, uh, in the lead up to uh, World War II, hmm. and it's real cool. I like that. I liked his writing a lot. I hadn't read any other Eric Larson before this, so I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. As always, the best way to get more Pop and Lock-related content and to connect with us is to follow us on Twitter. You can find us at the handle at Pop and Lock Pod. That's Pop, the letter N, Lock with an E, like the philosopher, Pod. Make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We look forward to unraveling your favorite show or movie next time. Pop and Lock is produced by me, Landry Ayers, as a project of Libertarianism.org. To learn more, visit us on the web at www.Libertarianism.org.